I hope you're all well. Um, I'm happy to answer all of your questions today. Um, and I really want to have a good and honest discussion about what it's like to be a surgeon and be a mom whilst being a female hijabi <laughs> in this crazy world that we live in. Um, definitely lots of things to tackle, lots of amazing positive things. Um, it's not all negatives, um, but I'm really here to dispel any myths or answer any of your questions regarding, you know, just technical stuff or more controversial things. So I've got my, it's not chai, I'm really sorry, it's coffee because I really need to stay up all night today. So I've got my coffee. <laughs> Oh, um, thanks for being here. I've got, I've got chai here myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to get started with a bit about you. But before that, I'm Zainab, by the way, and I'm the events officer at Muslim Women in Surgery. And for anyone that wants to interact with us in the Q&A, there's a little button um, just at the bottom of your screen that says Q&A. You can put all your questions there and Ms. Sarah McKee can answer them. Sorry, Dr. Sarah McKee can answer them at Miss, the Miss. end. Miss, okay. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Um, at the end with a little 15 minute Q&A. But let's get started with you. So can you tell me a bit about your journey from sort of your application to medical school all the way up to your LTFT? Okay, sure. Um, I'll start actually a little bit earlier than that. I came to the UK when I was nine years old. Um, I came from Iraq, I was a refugee. And I knew two words in English, yes and no. I think I spent the first three months in a primary school just answering yes or no randomly. And some people would be shocked at my answer. Obviously, I had no idea what I was answering yes or no to. But then I just thought to myself, um, my family are quite academically geared. So I threw my, it's a you know, new language, new country, new everything. I just threw myself in my studies and I wanted to be the best at everything. Um, it's just an annoying trait to have. So um, I just went to, I went to the local comprehensive high school. I literally went to the local sixth form uh, part of that comprehensive. Um, I studied as hard as I can and I got into medical school. Honestly, I think by a miracle, because looking back and comparing myself to the candidates out there, when I got into medical school, I was thinking, oh my goodness, how on earth did they let me in here? And I always make a joke that they let me in just to check the uh, diversity <laughs> tick box. <laughs> um, but um, obviously I think it's my um, dedication that, that mm -hmm. shone through. So yeah, so I got into Imperial College. Um, I went to, I grew up in West London and I went to Imperial College and all my hospitals were in Northwest London. Then I graduated and I um, basically got the Northwest London Deanery for my foundation training. And then after that, I went into core surgical training into the Northwest London area. So I think you can definitely call it that I've been institutionalized. <laughs> yeah. I've been in Northwest London pretty much um, since nine years old. Um, so just to, just to go into a little bit more detail about surgery, I actually had my first surgical attachment. I mean, getting into medicine was great. Yes, I want to help people. I love it. This is what I'm... And then you get into medicine and you kind of feel like this, for some people, not all, you feel like a sense of disillusionment and you're thinking, oh, is this it? <laughs> That's how I felt anyway. And I kind of felt I lost that spark. Um, and then I did a, an attachment in my second year in vascular surgery and I absolutely loved it. I loved it so much. I went from, and this is bad to say, I went from not attending any of my lectures and not showing up because I just was so demotivated to waking up at five o'clock in the 
in the morning to be in hospital by 6.30 and leaving the hospital by like 7.30. As a medical student, everyone was like, you're crazy, you know, go home. And but I absolutely loved it so much. And that's when I realized, oh my goodness, I really, really, really want to do surgery. So then I went off and I told everyone, guess what? I found my passion. I found my calling. I want to do surgery. The atmosphere in theater is amazing. Um, I thrive of, you know, being under pressure. I was made for this. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's not for you though. I'm like, what do you mean? No, like it's, you know, surgery, it's really hard for a woman. Don't you want to get married? Don't you want to have kids? And I'm not just talking about people from my community. <laughs> I'm talking about everyone, you know, like everyone that I came across. Um, and then even one of my consultants actually used to say to me a lot, it's like, you're really good. It's just such a shame that you're a woman. And I used to be like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm not gonna do it. And then I kind of completely put it out. I was like, it's not gonna happen. It's not compatible. I got married in my fifth year of medical school, fifth out of sixth year. Um, yeah, so really early. Um, my parents were worried that I was gonna drop out of medicine. I was like, no, <laughs> why is one thing at the expense of another? And then, and then I started my foundation training. I went into work. It was like normal. Was, I just felt like how everyone else felt going into work. Normal mm -hmm. Sunday blues, happy on Friday, until I came across my first surgical rotation. And honestly, the rest is history. I was like, I'm doing this. I love it. If I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to be miserable. If I'm going to work, I'm going to really enjoy what I'm doing. And I really believe that when you enjoy what you're doing, you, you naturally become amazing at it because you're constantly looking for ways to be better and to improve yourself. So I waffled on for a really long time, but essentially that's like my journey of yes, surgery, no surgery, yes, surgery. And then after that, I just didn't look back and I did everything in my power to pursue a surgical career, which I did, alhamdulillah. What made you decide to get married in fifth year when you still had a year left in medicine? Honestly, I met my husband when I was in third year. So I thought, it's, you know, like we, we were getting to know each other for like a year. Then we got engaged for a year. Mm -hmm. We're like, we, we just can't keep doing, you know, just, you know, in, engagement for ages. We just, we should just get married and get on with it. So, and I, I just, I didn't think that if I got married, it would make my, uh, studies any harder and I know that there's this mm -hmm. conception I suppose it is a misconception that if you if you're married then it's a lot harder but really it kind of depends on the environment at home like I just felt that I, I'll come back home from lectures or from attachment um, from like a like a you know clinical attachment and I'll be like to my husband so like where should we eat he's like your mom's okay fine my mom's <laughs> like nothing changed like, <laughs> just come back home I'll go to my mom I feel so bad for her she'd cook for us and then I'd go home, I might study, I might watch a film, go to sleep, wake up, go to go to uni again. <laughs> so nothing really changed that much. <laughs> That's great that you're with him. Is he a medic as well? No, he's actually not a medic. Um, he is a mechanic by trade. Um, at the time when we met, we, we he hadn't even started his own business, but once we he got married, we got married. Um, he opened up a garage. So he's basically he's a mechanic, he owns a garage recently he's gone back to university to study motorsport engineering so that's throwing like a bit of a span in the works for us but essentially you know very non-medic very different to what I do but I have to say it's got positives and negatives and the main positive being is that he is so 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 flexible 
I don't have to worry that if I'm on night shifts, he's going to be on night shifts. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and because he owns his business, he's very flexible with what time he starts in terms of taking care of the kids or picking mm-hmm. them up, etc. So it's been really useful having a non-medic. <laughs> <laughs> Do you recommend though that anyone goes for other medics? You know, should medics marry other medics? Uh, I'm gonna sit. <laughs> um that's a really good question long pause I I, that's a really good question and honestly I believe it uh, it depends what you want to get out of the relationship ultimately there's good first of all for me for my husband sometimes he finds it really difficult to understand why I do all the extracurricular stuff you know and sometimes that does cause friction between Mm -hmm. us don't get me wrong like why are you studying in the middle of the night? Like, are you getting paid for this? Like, no, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> okay, so I'd call him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm running two hours late. You know, I had a patient go off at the end of the shift. Um, and he'd be like, yeah, that's fine. You're getting paid for it. I'm like, no, I'm not getting paid for it. He's like, what? Like, I, he, like so <laughs> he sees my, like, it's difficult because with us medics, all of the stuff that comes around the nine to five is part of the job. But for non-medics, if you're not getting paid, that's not part of the job. You know, that's just how they see for us as a vocation, for them, they see it as it's a job. You go, you make money, you come back, you know? So when I say these things, and I, I'm going to be honest with you, unless you've married another medic, they just, they're not going to get it. They're not going to get why you spend ages working on your portfolio, why you spend ages, you're going to work early and you leave work early mm-hmm. for no reason, sometimes for no thanks at all, you know? Um, so if you're looking for support with your medical career from that point of view, um, then get married to a medic because they'll understand what you're going through and they'll help you and they'll give you pointers. But if you're looking for flexibility, if you're looking for, to do something completely different outside of medicine, um, and I think definitely the flexibility thing, then non-medic is the way to go. And I've heard that a lot from other conferences that I've been to where I've you know, discussed this with other um, surgeons specifically. Yeah. How do you deal with the friction that comes up about your work with your family and with your husband? I mean, this is something that I will constantly deal with, learn, think that I have it down and then start from scratch every couple of months. It's, a, it's, it's constantly shifting, you know, what happens. And I don't think anyone, I think anyone would, like, would be lying if they said, um, this is what I do and it works for me and it's worked for us for so long because the dynamic is always shifting and there's always new variables like for example first I was you know married and working full-time and that caused friction in the sense that I felt like I wasn't spending enough time at home you know then I had kids and I was working less than full-time but then I have extra responsibilities in in the form of kids so how do I deal with the friction apologize (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I can't do anything about it you know it's really important to me I think when you sit and communicate it helps a lot which is um for me, it's important for me to tell my husband, this makes me happy and this is why it makes me happy. And when I'm happy, you're happy and my kids are also happy, you know? I have to take care of myself. I have to do what makes me happy. And, you know, I have to be fulfilled. Otherwise, you don't want to. You don't want me as a resentful wife, you know? Um, and there are some people that, and I envy, I envy, you know, people who, they have kids and it fulfills everything that they could possibly, you know, want from life. And they, they dedicate their life around their kids and they give up their career. And I would, I would love to have been like that because I think it would have made my life easier. But mm-hmm. I realized that my fulfillment comes from different aspects of my life. And I explained that to my husband several times. 
every now and then there's like a same discussion but it's normal you know and then what I would do is I'll try to put some time uh to one side for quality time um and that's really important because you know for example for us for me it's the weekends with my kids um we would do something really special like go to the aquarium or go to the zoo or do special activities as opposed to just you know sitting in, in the house all day long and I think that makes up for it because they realize okay I'm away for a lot not that much three days a week but still I'm away but that does make um you know I, I am making up for it and I am having quality time with them and I, I want to show them that I love you and I care about you and I just do little things that hopefully will dispel the friction I suppose yeah you did speak about having kids and sort of that adding to your responsibility so when exactly did you know that it was the right time to have kids there is never a right time to have kids in medicine okay never because you're in med school, you're studying for exams on stop. The moment you're out of med school, you want to get a good, um, you want to basically get a good ranking and get your top deanery for foundation training. The moment you're in foundation training, you want to start working towards your core surgical training. You want to get your top deanery. And now I'm working towards my registrar interviews in like a month's time. There is never a good time. And by the time you're like, okay, I'm a consultant, I can sit back and have kids. I mean, I'm really sorry to say this, but by then you'll be like 36, 37. And even, you know, like, fine, if you want to have kids at that age, that's fine. But you're going to be knackered all the time. You know, you're not going to sleep. You're going to be running after crazy kids. So there's never a right time. I think what we what we decided is I kept putting it off. I want I did it after my F2. So I took like a gap year between my F2 and my core surgical training. And I think mm-hmm. for me, I just took the plunge, okay? And it was, I can't explain to you, the scariest thing I had ever done because I came from a background where I'm like studying, 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 and then foundation training full-time and studying, full-time studying. So for me to bring a kid into that mix, I just didn't know how it would work. But you know, subhanAllah, these things have a way of working out and the kid comes along and then all of a sudden you restructure your life around your child and you start thinking to yourself, what can I do to make it work? What do I have at my disposal? Who can I call for help, etc. I have to say that I'm very, very privileged because I have my mom who and my mother-in-law who help out a lot. So to answer your question, there's no right time. In my opinion, when you feel like you're ready to be a mother, just take the plunge and do it. My advice is sooner rather than later, not from a medical point of view, from a physical point of view, you need your strength to run after those kids. Um, and then once I had the first kid, I realized, and it, alhamdulillah, we made it work. I realized actually second kid is not going to be that much harder. The, the biggest disruption has already happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had my um, second child in the last year of my core surgical training. Uh, so I just literally, I took out a year and then I came back and I finished like three months of it. Then I completed it. Mashallah. So do you feel like it's always necessary to take time out when you have kids? Because in both times you sort of took time out and took a gap year or how does it work out in terms of maternity leave, taking time? Okay. Yeah. How does it work? So in this is this is gonna be a bit a, a bit technical. When I finished my F2, um I so yeah I took a I took I took a gap year because I had to work on my portfolio mm-hmm. it was awful like I wasn't I was I didn't have anything to go on my core surgical application and that's because I decided to you know pursue the surgery route quite late you know and like halfway through my foundation training and by then people have been working on their portfolio for a long time so I knew I needed a year out 
I thought this would be a great time to also get pregnant. So what I did is I actually took up a trust grade job, which is like a non-training job, just as an SHO, um, after I got pregnant. And that kind of gives you, you can work up until you give birth and then you have um, maternity pay, essentially, because you need to be employed to get maternity pay. But what it meant is that I, obviously I didn't have the full year of maternity uh, leave because I got pregnant after I took out my gap year, if that makes sense. So I went back to work. Um, I started my core surgical training job when my daughter was nine mm -hmm. months old. So that was that's how it worked the first time. So yeah, the second time, so it just so happened that it was in between training programs. The second time I was already in my training program and I think that makes it a lot easier because you're already in a training program, you're already in a job, mm -hmm. you can get pregnant whatever you want and then you can take time, your maternity leave. Minimum is two weeks maternity leave and your maximum is like a year, I think. But, you know, you always discuss with your HR, et cetera, if you need to extend it for any reason. And I don't think you need to take time out. I think it's amazing to take time out. And I think we're privileged in the UK to be able to take time out because I speak to my surgical colleagues in America and they like don't, they only get paid for like two, like they get two weeks and it's not even paid or something ridiculous like that. So they can't even afford to take time out. Um, for my first kid, I had nine months with them before I went to work. For my second daughter, I had a year. And honestly, I enjoyed every moment of it. And I do think work is always gonna be there. You're not missing out. No one is missing you, don't worry. The NHS is surviving without you. Take the time out, enjoy your time with your, with your kid. I had my second kid in lockdown, you know, but we still went to the park and we did all like cute activities. And I really, 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 really cherish those moments. And if you told me, oh, would you want to go back? Would you have gone back to work earlier? Absolutely not. I wouldn't. Maybe before I would have said, yeah, yeah, that would be great. But once you realize that the time is precious, you can't get it back. You'd want all the time you mm -hmm. could possibly have with your kid. After the nine months and sort of after the year, how did you find it like getting back into your workflow? And how do you find it like leaving your kids? That must have been like a struggle. Yeah, I mean, there were two main things to consider first of all it was the actual logistic logistical part of get, going to work you know like before mm -hmm. I used to just get up throw some clothes on you know wash my face put makeup and leave right now it's like oh my god there's a kid like what do I do um so we had to figure out a way and because I live close to my mom the we came to an agreement that or rather I came with a solution, I should say. <laughs> I'd wake up extra early, drop off my daughter to my mom's and then from there head out to work. So obviously my mom wasn't happy about having to wake up at like 6.30 in the morning, but you know, she's my rock and she, she helps me out. So, and then by the time my daughter went to um, nursery, my mom would then drop her off to nursery and pick her up. Um, and uh, a couple of days, uh, so one day a week, my husband would do that but he would drop off my kids to um, my mother-in-law so it was shared between my mom and my mother-in-law so a lot of it was about logistics okay and then when you, you're always constantly thinking is my mom okay is my mother-in-law okay are the kids okay my did my husband manage the morning routine okay blah 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 then there's the other um main source of anxiety is oh my god i've forgotten everything i'm completely de-skilled I'm going to be so like, I remember once I was praying and I was like, this is so bad. I was praying and I just thought to myself, oh, what's the dose for augmenting? <laughs> I forgot that, honestly. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I need to finish up so I can look up. 
<laughs> and I remember telling my brother about it and he was like, you absolute idiot. I'm like, you know what I have. Um, but honestly, like you have all this anxiety about going back. I've forgotten everything. I'm de-skilled. I'm going to be completely useless. I'm going to be the person who's like, oh, she's just come back from that leave, uh, you know. But the funny thing is you go in there, everything comes flooding back to you everything comes crashing painfully down all the information all your skills and within two three four weeks maximum you're like how you were before you left you know so it's kind of like a whole year passes where you don't do anything medically related and it all comes back to you muscle memory brain memory etc so my advice to you is if you're if you go on maternity leave and you have anxiety about going back forgetting everything that's completely normal it will come back to you just go back and try to enjoy yourself at work. Final things of around your pregnancy. How did you manage in like being pregnant while working? Like I know you spent time with your kid, but how did you manage the whole pregnancy and everything that comes with it, with everything at work? I loved it. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I loved it. I'm I like to stay busy. And I like to stay active. And when I say active, as in just running around the hospital. So I like to stay busy and I like to stay active. So I kind of worked up until I was about 38 weeks pregnant. Um, and I, in both those instances, I was actually on an orthopedic job. So the first one was mm -hmm. a trust grade orthopedic. And secondly, I was in my core surgical. Um, there are some there are some technical factors that you have to take into account. So if you're exposed to radiation in your first trimester, um, obviously, which is part and parcel of working in trauma theatre, you have to be very careful. Um, it's a personal choice if you want to do trauma theatre or not, because we use x-ray. And some people, sort of, we use it, obviously, we cover up with a lead gown, but some people decide to do trauma, and if they're pregnant, they will double gown up. I didn't do that. I just said, listen, you know, I'm pregnant, you're, you know, I want to take care of the health of my baby. So I'm going to spend most of my time in the elective theatres, which is basically hips, knees replacement, um, upper limb work, when we use minimal x-rays. And my consultants were really understanding and I, your employ, employers will have to be understanding, you know, it's your right as a, you have to do a risk assessment when you're pregnant about all the activities that you can or can't do mm -hmm. or things that might affect your health. Um, and even things like night shifts, by the way, a lot of, um, a lot of female, a lot of doctors who become pregnant come off night shifts, you know, as early as they want to, because if they feel like it has an effect on, first of all, there is a study out there that shows night shifts increase your risk of miscarriage. So there is that, but also it can increase, can increase other complications as well. Please don't quote me. I'm not obzengaini. Okay. <laughs> Big disclaimer. I do bones. I don't do anything else. So, but for me, it was a personal choice to continue with night shifts because I wanted to do as much of the stuff that I did before I got pregnant because I, I don't want this to sound wrong, but I wanted to feel as normal as possible, if that makes sense. And that made me feel happy. I didn't mm -hmm. want to consider myself, oh, I'm special. I can't lift. I can't do night shifts. Some people like that and they want to pamper themselves and, you know, feel great and, you know, enjoy the special time. But for me, I'll be honest with you. I hate pregnancy, okay? Everyone who knows me knows how I feel about pregnancy. I hate my body changing. I hate all the aches and pains. I hate all of that. I'm just like, this is not a magical time. And anyone who sees me is like, wow, your skin is... I'm like, just stop, please, just stop. <laughs> so for me to get through pregnancy, I just wanted to do everything that I possibly could that, you know, within reason <laughs> I was doing before I got pregnant. And that's how I managed to get through it, to, um, to answer your question. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so uh, moving on from your sort of pregnancy and your career, um, you decided to do an LTFT. When did you know that you wanted to do an LTFT and how did that sort of work out with your family and work balance? Before I got pregnant, I knew I was going to do LTFT because I went to a, in my F1 year, I went to a woman in surgery conference. Um, I still remember it. And it had a one like trainee who was less than full time. And I thought to myself, I think, I think this is possibly a way to make um, motherhood and uh, surgery work. Um, and that was my gut instinct. So I spoke to her a lot. She actually gave a talk and then I spoke to her afterwards. And she just described, um, having a really good you know, work-life balance, spending time with the children whilst also working. And she outlined to me, you know, the challenges that it would uh, obviously pose. Um, and I thought if I had kids, hopefully, inshallah, obviously you never know if you can or can't. Or I just thought to myself, if I had kids, then I would definitely want to train less than full-time. Some people want to do um, full-time and that's fine because they just want to, you know, power through, they want to get through their training as quickly as possible. But everyone has their own priorities and my priority was I want to spend as much time with my kids as possible um, to see them grow up whilst also keep you know training and not giving up on that completely so the first so I knew from the get-go that if I ever got pregnant and I had kids I would go for less than full time so I got pregnant I had my kids and the moment I got assigned to a deanery after my core surgical training I contacted my um, the training program director, you know, and introduced myself. Hi, I'm super excited to start in October, et cetera, et cetera. I want to train less than full time because I have kids. And the process was really easy. They just sent you um, paperwork to fill out. And in terms of training less than full time, there's three different categories you can apply um, under, either childcare or for example, health reasons, if you can't work full time for, for something. And there's a third category I'm not too sure on the details, but it's a little bit, it's kind of like at the discretion of your training program director, like, and it, it's things like if you're training for the Olympics or something like that, they'll be like, okay, you can train this than full time. So the third category, you have to go look up because I'm not too sure about it, but it's, it falls outside the first two health or kids. And all you have to do is literally send them a birth certificate of your kid and they're like okay you can train less than full-time up until they're the age of 16 years old or until you decide you want to train full-time again so it was really in terms of getting the approval it was really easy to get the approval um what was hard of course is working with rotor coordinators and working with um, HR departments and hospitals and for some reason it's something that baffles most of them and you're like we're in the 21st century, how do you not know, <laughs> you know, that people want to work part-time? Um, and yeah. it, will, it wreaks havoc with the rotor. And most of the time, what you'll do, and the easiest thing to do is to speak to your rotor coordinator and you tell them, this, I learned this the hard way, I'm less than full-time. I've arranged my own rotor in the past. I will make it compliant, compliant. Give me the master rotor. I will give you back, you know, a couple of copies, see which one works for you. And most of them are so happy for you to sort out your own rotor. That they're just like okay go for it obviously you're you know you have to be fair because you're doing less than full-time of regular um shifts and less than full-time of the on-call shifts as well so mm -hmm. um but essentially it means you can choose your days but it also offers me some flexibility and this is the way that i pitch it to them is listen if you're mm -hmm. short-staffed on a day i don't mind moving from one day to the next you know as long as i have some sort of um heads up because i need to arrange childcare 
and they 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 like that rotocorneas like that because they feel like they have some flexibility as well so that is the technical aspects of less than full time the moment that you know you want to go less than full time speak to your training program director get the documents sorted it's really easy to get approved if it is for kids i haven't got any experience with the other categories so i probably not the best person to speak to um but your training program director is your first um your first port of call right basically so as an ltfd what does like a normal week look like for you I'm LTFT 60%, which means that I work three days out of five. The minimum you can do is 50%, which is two and a half days. And the maximum LTFT is 80%, which is four days. Um, I think four days is a bit full on, in my opinion, especially when you've got young, young kids, you know, they're both in school and they're fairly independent, fine. And I think two and a half days, I spoke to a couple of people and they told me it was, for some people, it's a waste of time because you've already left You've already done the hard bit of arranging childcare, sorting out the day. Mm -hmm. So for you to do half a day and come back, you might as well just do the full day and do it, um, do it sixty percent. So what I used to do is, so for example, I would work. Um, I wouldn't work Monday and Tuesday, but that's just a preference. It just depends on. Okay, it depends on who I want to work with and what I want to do. <laughs> my duties. <laughs> If that makes sense, I don't want to get into. I feel like I'm corrupting you if I say. Um, I kind of choose the days based on what I would like to get out of, get out of the week. Okay, and um, mm -hmm. so I work Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, um, and that gives you a good mix of uh, upper and lower limb, shall we say? And then I'll, yeah. So Mondays, uh, so Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Um, I would also work on call. If it's like a, a week of on call, I would only work on call Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. If it's a weekend on call, what I would do is figure out 60% of that, which usually means like in Friday and Saturday instead of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know? And for me, that's important mm. because Sunday is like my family day. So, and most people are like really understanding that. I, say, I tell them, is it okay if I do Friday and Saturday as opposed to Saturday and Sunday? You know, for example, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. But essentially, you're, you can be very flexible with the days as long as your weekends are 60%, your night shifts are 60%, um, et cetera, et cetera, basically. So yeah. that makes on the sense. days that I'm not working, I do the other house things. I go groceries, uh, chores, um, errands, laundry, batch cooking, everything. So it feels like I'm working. It's just not in the hospital. Um, so how old are your kids at this point? One of them is five, so she's in reception, mm -hmm. and the other one is a year and a half. She's still a baby. <laughs> so what do you do when you spend time with them when you're not in hospital? Well, the five-year-old is in school, so after, after school, usually I, we might go to soft play, or for example, yesterday it was nice and sunny, so I took her out for a baby chino. She enjoyed that. <laughs> um, the one-and-a-half-year-old mostly just things like we'll go for a walk and she's in her buggy, um, but really mainly our main activities is on the weekends when we would do something, mm -hmm. something like I said, something big, like we would plan a whole day out. And it helps because my husband is around and you kind of need one parent per kid. <laughs> it's like tag team. <laughs> so that's that's usually what we do. Honestly, just usual mom stuff. I try to do as much reading and homework I can with my five-year-old. <clears throat> Sometimes I'm just not in the mood, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm tired. She's tired. Um, but essentially just 
reg regular, you know, mom kitty things, meeting up with other moms that have kids uh, and my friends, you know, letting them play. So that's pretty much what I do with them. I just try to limit TV time, try, fail miserably a lot of the times, but, you know, we're, we're only human. Um, you talk a lot about your kids and about your work, but what about you? What do you do in your own, like, me time, if you have okay. any? This is what I do. I read fantasy books. <laughs> That's all I do. <laughs> and this is June, but I'm actually not on my next next um, reading list. I'm currently reading The Witcher, okay? Amazing series. Get into it. What I do in my spare time, that's what I do. I read. I'm a, I'm, I love fantasy books. I got into it when I was like 11 years old and I just never looked back since. Um, I try to, I used to draw a lot with kids. It's so difficult to do that because drawing for me takes like a good two, three hours of my time, of like a time that you just want to sort of write off and you're lost in your own world. You can't put aside two, three hours, you know, when you've got kids. <laughs> I would find it so frustrating to start and then stop, pick up the pencil, put down the pencil. So I do a lot of reading. Um, I Very boring. We just, me and my husband just sit there watch films <laughs> if I'm not studying for anything. Um, or we used to go out a lot until the pandemic came and kind of just put a dent in everything really. Um, and I try to meet up with my friends as much as I can. We have um, one of my friends set up a book club that we do about once a month. That's like a nice, that's like my little savior. Um, pretty much, I'm really boring. I'm sorry. I want to say that I do things like mountaineering and I don't. <laughs> I, just, I just sit at home with my cup of tea and I read. <laughs> I guess that's exactly what everyone kind of wants to do. Um, um, you said when you kind of spend family time together, you tend to like sit down, watch movies. Yeah. Um, is that what you like recommend people do when they're in their own like, I mean, family it time? It depends. I mean, you know what we got into last year? actually not last year, the year before, it was actually really cool. We got into gardening because of the mm -hmm. pandemic. And ever since then, that's been like a regular thing that we do together, me my husband and my daughter. Now, obviously my one and a half is too young, but my mm -hmm. friend, we all do gardening together, which is really cool. Now you can't do that until spring. So for the, yeah. the winter <laughs> months, you have to be really creative. We like to do lots of indoor activities. My advice is honestly, try to go out as much as you can to have quality time. So things like we go, for example, crazy golf a lot. We go to restaurants during the weekend a lot. Um, like I said, anything indoors or like we'll go to a model village if the weather's nice. So mm -hmm. my advice, you know, sometimes you do sit at home and end up watching like a movie together, which is cute. But I, if I could, I would, I, would, I would love to do more things outdoors. Mm -hmm. And summer's always easier summer's always easier yeah I'm guessing your kids have like their own hobbies stuff that they like to do anyway but what do you do when you sort of miss out on something that your kid really wanted you to go to like a school play or um, they wanted to do something with their friends and you missed out on it how do you make up for that um I've actually I'm quite lucky because I haven't missed any school plays yet <laughs> <laughs> that's good I mean what I, I mean thankfully because my daughter has only just started mm -hmm. you know school so I haven't missed out on any major but that is always a constant worry like what do I do if she's in like in the school play and I can't make mm -hmm. it that day and I think it'll be I'll ask my husband to go <laughs> please can you go and film yeah. it and make sure that one of us is there 
Um, and if he can't, then I'll probably beg my mom to go and please go film it, you know. I'll tell you what I did miss out on. I missed out on my daughter having her first tooth. I remember the first day that I went back to work, my mom sent me a picture of her tooth. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes the guilt is real. But I think you, and my daughter, bless her, she's so understanding. She's so understanding. I, I'll explain to her, I'm really sorry. I have work, you know. I, you know, I'll say things like, I need to save someone's life, you know. <laughs> She's like, okay, mommy, no, I understand. And then, and then I'll say things to her like, I'll make it up to you. We'll do something special. What would you like to do? And, and kids really love that when you ask them, what do you want to do? Let's do something special. And honestly, no matter what she suggests, I go with it because she's, she's not going to say anything outrageous. You know, the kids are simple. They want things like, oh, I want to go soft play or I want to go to the playground or, you know, I want to have pancakes. So, you know, they're not going to ask for anything outrageous, hopefully. So that, that is literally how I make up for it. So I guess, would you call yourself a good mother in that context? My goodness. <laughs> That's a really tough question. I'll tell you what. Sometimes I feel like I'm a good mom and sometimes I feel like I'm the worst mom in the world. Because then, like, say, for example, I'll come back home from work at like 8.30 and um, my husband say if he's working late, I'll pick up my daughter from my mom's house and in the car she'll fall asleep and she'll be in her uniform and she's falling asleep at like 8.30 and I just feel horrendous um and I just think to myself oh my goodness I must be the worst mom in the world but then sometimes like on a weekend like we'll get up we'll make pancakes we'll bake you know oh let's do some reading let's blend out your phonics and then I'll feel like the best mom so there's just there's no there's no one answer um it's a constant battlefield and people will always criticize you no matter what you do so you just have to be happy and content that you are doing the best that you can basically you know you're making yourself happy and you're being there for your kids and your husband because I'll be honest with you if I stopped working and I became a full-time mom you know what people are going to say oh yeah she just sits at home all day long you know let, let's not pretend any different I, I've seen it happen with my own eyes you know I've seen it happen with like unfortunately with people that I know when they look at someone who doesn't work and instead of thinking, oh, you know, she's because I know I know what it's like when you're not working, you know, you're doing other stuff. And they're just like, oh, what does she do? Really? She just sits at home all day long. It's like, so she's being criticized for not working. Mm. Well, speaking of criticism, did you get criticized for doing an LTFD or did it go smoothly? I mean, that's from meaning from work. From my yeah, because I heard like a lot of prejudice around LTFTs whenever I bring it up. It's like, yeah, oh, so you don't want to like yeah yeah that's exactly what it is there's there is a it's slowly changing I think in London it's changing more than other regions there is a culture that LTFT you're not really committed you're kind of dipping in and out you know you're leaving your team in the lurch by saying sorry I gotta pick up my kids kind of thing and when I first started working I really felt that and the department that I was working in I'm not going to name any names, but I'm not going back there. The department I'm working with so unsupportive that, honestly, I think those four months were the most difficult four months of my medical career. Like, I would go home. I was, Sometimes I'll be in tears because I felt so stressed out and so unsupported. And I was constantly made to feel that anything that I didn't achieve in my training was because I'm less than full-time and I'm not giving it my all like other trainees. Like for example, this department had, <clears throat> had huge staff shortages that being a core surgical trainee, instead of being in theaters and in clinics, I was covering the walls 
all day, every day. And if I'm not on the wards, I was on call in A&E and it was really busy hospital. And I literally, there was no timetable ta- uh, timetable for theater. There was no scheduled sessions for theater because we were social staff. And technically you are supposed to have something like at least three sessions in theater as a core surgical trainee. And you need to get numbers. You need to hit your numbers in the logbook. You need to show that you're operating and that you're, you're reaching, you're getting the minimal numbers, you're getting mm-hmm. your skills. And because we were short, short staffed and I was less than full time, I was either I was on the wards with looking after 40 patients alone, or I was an A&E going from referral to referral to referral. And every single time I tried to raise this issue with my educational supervisor, he would just say, yeah, like you're not, you're not really getting, you're hitting your targets. And it's, you know, it's because you're not here all the time. And your colleagues who are here all the time, they do manage to make it into theater. So it must be something, maybe you're not delegating. And I'm like, dude, who am I gonna delegate to? I'm the only doctor on the board, like, please explain to me. And then it, then he'll say things like, um, he would say things like, you know, they're full time and they still come in on their days off. So I think you should be doing that even more so that you're less than full time. I'm thinking to myself, if I'm less than, I'm less than full-time for a reason. I'm not less than full-time to go home and just chill out and sleep. I'm less than full-time to do my other job, right? I didn't say anything. I thought this was all normal behavior because I was very naive. And I was just, I felt like absolute rubbish by myself. Then I had another consultant in that same department who would say things like, because I would work in that department, I used to work um, Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And he'd say things like, oh, you know, sorry for some not working any Fridays or um, how do you feel about leaving all the work on Friday for your colleagues to do? And I, and I used to say, listen, I don't mind working Fridays. I just need someone to tell me we need you on these days so I can arrange childcare. And then he wasn't even interested in what I had to say. He just wanted to say it just to make me feel like, make me feel awful. So then I had like a, a mid or like an end of term review with my training program director. She's incredible. She's absolutely amazing. Miss Stella Vig, okay? She really looks after you and she looks after your well-being as well. You know, not just your um, career and your training. And I just brought these up. Like, she's like, how, how are you finding us? Just, I said to her, it's really difficult. I feel like I'm letting myself down. I feel like I'm letting my team down. And she was like, oh, why? And I was like, oh, because I, I I'm not getting into theater because there's no time. Um, my educational supervisor thinks I should come in on my days off. And my other consultant saying things like, I'm leaving my team in the lurch by disappearing every Friday. Oh man, she lost it. <laughs> she was like, oh, what? <laughs> what? And I was like, oh, is, is this not normal? She's like, no, it's not normal. <laughs> and she's like you are not gonna go in on your days because I was like okay I'm gonna have to go on my days off like you are not going on your days off you are not accepting that kind of thing anyone who says anything like that to you in the future come and tell me and tell them I'm going to speak to Miss Vig and explain to her the issues that I'm having so that's when I realized I that's not normal I thought it was normal because it was my first job at core surgical training in a big teaching hospital um first time being less than full-time I thought that was normal it was not normal so then what happened is that I had like a bit of a mentality change I went in with I'm less than full-time when I'm here I'm going to give you everything 150 percent when I'm not here I'm at my other job okay don't bother me 
don't expect me to come in on my days off because I don't have a day off. I'm on my other job. I'm going to be the best trainee I, I possibly can. And I'll show you that I'm incredible. And it was like a bit of like a mentality shift. And it, it showed straight away was before I was like a little, you know, I was bumbling around and I was constantly afraid that I would say something wrong, do something wrong. And then when I changed jobs and I got out of that toxic environment, and I went in and you say, I'm less than full time as a fact, when I'm here, I'm going to show you how incredible I am. When I'm not here, it's because I'm doing my other job. Maybe it's because of the change of environment or because I've changed the way I've looked at it, but people have become so positive and so supportive, you know? And before I used to be very ap apologetic. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be here on Friday. Cause you know, like I'm before, uh, now it's like, I don't work on Fridays. You know, I'm, I'm, with, I'm it's my off day, I'm with my kids. You know, and I'll say things like um, that's sometimes that's harder than being in a hospital, you know, and you really have to own it. And when you do and when you find a supportive um, department, that's when the magic happens. That's great. It's actually nice. But um, was it easy to like change jobs? Did you change jobs just because of the LTFT thing or? No, no, because you have to do, you have to rotate as part of your training. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, so I went from a, yeah, went from a trauma and orthopedics four months, then I went to cardiothoracic, and then I went to upper GI, and then I did two whole years of further orthopedics. Because I'm less than full-time, your core surgical training is two years, mm -hmm. but I did it at 60%, so my core surgical training came out to be three years, essentially. Well, three years and four months, but I got signed off four months early because I showed them what an amazing trainee I am. I was, like, I'm, I was like, I'm going to oh, own yes. it. I'm going to show you. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so you did LTFT and balance it, balance it with sort of having kids. Do you think it's possible for someone to do full-time training and still have kids? It's definitely possible. There are people who've done it. Um, it just means it's going to be very, very, very hectic, very full on. And I know people who, I know a couple, a couple of, or one girl who does less than, uh, who does full time and she drops off her kid to nursery the hospital's nursery at like 7 30 in the morning then picks them up at like 5 30 after she finishes it's difficult when she's on call of course and that's when she might arrange something with her partner mm -hmm. um i think she you know people you on you, I, I can't say i can't speak for others but i think you can do it it's not that it's it's impossible but in my opinion it will be very 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 tiring and I think you'll burn out that's my honest opinion um and some people might look at me and be like but your training is extended so long how are you not how are you not going to burn out you know I just want to some people just want to finish their training quickly get to be a consultant ASAP and then sit back and relax but in my opinion if you're working full-time in hospital and then you go home and outside of those full-time hours you're trying to make it as a full-time parent you know and prepare for the rest of the week and for the rest of the day and the next day honestly I think you'll burn out and I think it's really stressful that's just my opinion yeah I guess it can be very difficult to sort of balance both full-time and sort of having yeah. a child but you did speak about them sort of balancing things with their husband have you ever like given caring responsibilities to others other than your mom and to your husband or to a nanny or how do you sort of take so, care of your children okay so this is something that is gonna sound quite controversial that not a lot of people will be happy about. Me and my husband spoke about this and we said that we can't do nannies. This is just a personal choice. <laughs> so 
lots of I know lots of women who basically they you know they hire nannies and they do the drop off and the pickups and they do meals and look after their kids and they're really really happy with them. But me and my husband, we just unless it's my mom or my mother in law, we just were not comfortable with having a nanny look after my kids. So that's when you know how you kind of have like a red line. I suppose that would be my red line. Like if it was between going to work or having a nanny, I would not be comfortable with having a nanny. That's just the bottom answer. But um, lot, I mean, I know lots of lots of my friends, they have mm. nannies and they're really happy with them and they're with them for years and years and years, you know. Um, but ultimately yeah. it's what you're comfortable with. And sometimes you do, can't do nanny and you can't do in-laws or mum. So you literally have to do extended hours at nursery from like, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning till six o'clock in the evening. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it can be very difficult to sort of trust your children with someone, you know, like a stranger, but yeah. it's a personal choice. Um, it is, absolutely. But, yeah. mm -hmm. um, how did you sort of deal with, um, you know, when you sort of went to work, how did you deal with telling people that you, would, you wouldn't be there for your kids? Or did you find any difficulties sort of balancing both work and kids in terms of societal prejudice? <laughs> yeah I mean from a community point of view you're always going to be because I don't obviously do the school pickup you know um three days a week because I'm working or the drop-off because I leave before they even wake up so from a community point of view you've got to realize that there are always going to be people who think that you are failing as a mother and that you're not doing the you know what you're supposed to do but I think the sooner you, you the sooner you come to terms with that, the sooner you're able to deal with it and just to get over it, you know, like, and you, it's difficult. Okay, like, for example, I have to, I have to explain to my immediate family, even that um, it's important for me to work, because it contributes to my happiness, it contributes to my inner growth and my fulfillment. And they, they didn't get that until they saw me during maternity leave where towards the end of my maternity leave, I'm restless, I'm not feeling fulfilled, I might feel a little bit resentful. So they're like, get her back to work now kind of thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Send her to work. So for the, with your friends and your immediate family, you can sit and you can explain to them, you know, that I think I'm being the best mom I can by being a happy mom and fulfilling what you know what I think what I think needs to be fulfilled you know I need to be challenged I, I need to learn all the time these things make me happy um for other people in the community who there's always going to be an auntie out there who has an opinion and she's always going to be like oh your daughter's gonna turn out to be you know god knows what because you're not at home you know um there's always going to be that and you just you just have to literally just bear it with grace yeah I know it's hard thank you so much for your advice I appreciate it I would you know I maybe two years ago three years ago I've told you no no you should try to change their mind I've learned the hard way they're there to tell you their opinion they're not there to discuss things with you they're not there to learn you're not going to change their minds so just smile and nod and like yeah it's hard I don't know why I do this actually <laughs> and just you know and then just get on with your life <laughs> Yeah, I, I know the exact thing you're talking about. Like, I haven't even started surgery. I'm still a medical student. And my aunts still feel they need to comment about yeah. the future I'm going to have. Um, but the thing is, but the thing is, some people don't know the ins and outs. So they think, oh, you know, just be a GP. GP will be great. Do you know anything about GP training? 
GP training is intense. It's intense. So they tell you things like, oh yeah, be a GP. It's like, what do you know about GP training? It's intense. I did four months of a GP in my F2 and I saw how intense it was. Yes, afterwards, you know, you finish, you can choose your sessions, etc. But it's still hard. I don't think there's easy, you know, no matter what work you do, when you have kids, it'll always be a balancing act. Yeah, and you've been doing amazing so far. Thank you. <laughs> so to wrap up before we start the Q&A, what one piece of advice would you give someone starting a family with their medical career path? Believe, be flexible, number one. Definitely use the people around you. Don't be shy, ask, okay? <laughs> because you know how they say it takes a village to raise a, a kid? That's what, you, that's what you need sometimes. Honestly, you do. Mm-hmm. Be fierce with your time. I'll, I can tell you this, but you will go and you'll make your own mistakes and then you'll realize, oh, wow, I need to be fierce with my time. Learn to say no, because you want to take on so much. You want to prove that you can do everything. And my mantra, if you have it, is you can have everything, but you can't have everything all at once. So you need to be very, very, very focused and specific okay I want to publish this paper so I'm going to dedicate the next I don't know six months to it in those six months don't try to take on something else I would love to take on my own advice by the way because I always complain that I take on too much (laughs) but honestly learn to say no be fierce with your time be organized and you will realize that once you have kids you just don't have to you don't have time to laze around and you know just you, you stare at the wall or scroll through your phone you will have things that you need to do and you will learn how to do those things better than anyone else. Your organization's skills and your time management, they improve so much. So you'll be fine. My advice is do it and you'll, you'll figure it out later. <laughs> Inshallah. Um, may God will it. Um, so we have a lot of questions in the Q&A function. But just before we get started, I'm going to give people a minute or two to upvote. So there's a function. If you look at the Q&A section, you could like a question if you really want it to be heard. So we could go in the order of most liked questions or anything that you want to hear. Um, so I'll give you guys two minutes to just refresh your tea, upload the questions you'd like, and also add any questions that you'd like to ask into your Q&A. So we'll meet back here in just two minutes. Just as a reminder, questions on the chat won't be answered. Make sure you add them to the Q&A function so that we could answer them there. And if you like any questions, then do upvote them so that we can get to them first. Whenever you're ready, Ms. Sarah Maki, we have our first question. Sure. Um, how would you deal with a partner who is intimidated or jealous with your achievements and aspirations? That's a hard one, man. <laughs> We're starting with the hardest one. <laughs> uh, 
I think it's it. No, Jeff. You know that meme? I don't know, Jeff. <laughs> I haven't watched a movie. I think, I mean, it's hard. I think I've definitely been in that position before. Sometimes I think, you know, my, is my husband kicking up a fuss because, you know, I'm working late or is he kicking up a fuss because I've got high aspirations or whatever. In my opinion, it helps to just talk. I know, first of all, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so I don't like talk fluff. You know, I went down to matter of fact, but honestly, communication solves a lot of a lot of issues. Just talk, try to get to the bottom of what's bothering them. You know, try to understand. Sometimes what I've realized in the past is not that there's jealousy of my aspirations. It's more like it's jealousy of the time that's taking me away from them. And once I realized that, it's easier to remedy that. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Should we have a date night? Should we go to the cinema? You know, and something so simple can can honestly solve a lot of problems. Do we have men here? Because I want to I get really... Yeah. <laughs> men don't tell you what the problem is. You have to be like, what is the problem? They don't tell you, I want your time. They'll tell you things like, you know um why do you have to work on that paper or why are you leaving so early and so so you kind of have to realize what is behind it is it do they want more of your time do they want more of your attention I always say that I've got three kids you know <laughs> I say this in one time my husband three kids sometimes you know um so honestly my advice to you is I it's difficult for me to say uh, but I would say just talk it out see what you can do to make the situation better see if there's something you know like I said some quality time that you can set apart or something mm -hmm. but essentially if they really have an issue with you having high aspirations that's always going to be a problem if you think about it because unless you change who you are or unless they change their issue I don't know what you yeah. can do so I guess open and honest communication and just find the right partner absolutely um. yeah <laughs> um speaking of the right partner how did you know your husband was the right one um so really direct um i've been told that i have a strong personality that, and that drives me nuts because i feel like i'm gonna I'm, I'm just gonna say it i intimidate lots of men out there so that's fine but he just came across so bold, so confident, so unintimidated that I just thought, you have my respect, mister. <laughs> um, so um, next question is, how would you advise women who worry about being behind in life? For example, long study, maternity leave, taking years out, etc. I worry about this 24 seven. This is me, okay? I literally, that's me. Oh my God, I'm not doing... I'm not progressing fast enough. I'm not publishing enough. I'm not operating enough. I do this all the time. And I have to constantly tell myself, you are on a different path. And it's not me telling myself, it's actually my mom telling myself, telling me. She, she's always telling me, you are on a different path. People that you're comparing yourself with do, don't have the same thing, same situation in life that you do. They don't have your same circumstances. And honestly, it feels like every four or five months, she has to sit me down. We have the same conversation. Then I feel like actually 
you're right, you know, I am on a different path. And also what I've started doing over the past year, which has really helped a lot, is I've started to celebrate my little achievements. Because we, I think as the community in general, but also when you're academically driven, it's, you're always focusing on the next thing. Okay, I need to do this. I need to do that. I, I finished this part of my life. I need to get on to the next part of my life. I, and we just forget to celebrate the little things. And I think for the past year, I've actually been more at peace and happier with myself because I look at what I've achieved and I, I, you know, and it might be silly to some people, but that makes me happy. And I always have to tell myself, there's no, there's no rush to get to the finish line. Speak to your consultants. They'll tell you there's no rush to get there. They're the best people to talk to. Because the moment you talk like, oh, I can't wait to be a consultant, they're like, uh, why? You know, and, and then they dispel all the theories that you have about where it's amazing to be a consultant. So that's what made me realize there's no rush. Enjoy the process. Enjoy life. Enjoy everything that is around medicine and studying and celebrate your little achievements because they are achievements. They're still achievements. They're big. Everything's a learning experience. Um, and just honestly, I, I, this is something that I have to tell myself all the time. You know, they say comparison is the thief of joy. Don't compare yourself. Your circumstances and your situation in life is different. Do things at your own pace that will make you happy. Inshallah, that is great advice. It's pearls of wisdom. Um, <laughs> you said uh, when you we were speaking about it that, you know, when you sort of went on this placement in vascular surgery, it sort of changed your life when you decided to go into surgery. How come you decided to go into orthopedics then? Yeah. I mean, vascular surgery opened up my eyes to the world of surgery in general. You know, like it was my first experience being in theatres, working as part of theatre team, handling the scalpel, for goodness sake. You know, OK, as a medical student, I was never given the scalpel, but I was given the retractor a lot. <laughs> so and I was taught because um, I, I was so dedicated. They actually let me do some suturing by the end of it. They're like, give this poor girl something. She's there all the time. So. I thought I wanted to be vascular. I was like, yeah, I love vascular. You know, it has pros and cons. Um, and my advice to you is try to do as many specialties as possible so you're able to find your right fit. And let hit, I didn't I didn't even have orthopedics on my radar. In medical school, I hated orthopedics. I thought it was the most boring subject in the world. I was like, why would I want to look at knee arthritis all day long? That's what I used to think of it. And then I was forced to do an attachment as an F1 in orthopedics. And I was furious about it. But it was honestly, subhanAllah, how these things happen. I realized it was, I just loved the specialty in terms of the variety that you see in terms of trauma. You know, you're dealing with upper limb, you're dealing with lower limb, you're dealing with pelvis injuries. You're dealing with kids that are like one years old and you're dealing with, you know, little old ladies that are 90 years old. You're dealing with pregnant women. The variety, that's what caught me, number one. Number two, the power tools. That was like, oh, I've got to use these. <laughs> um, and number three, and I think this is quite important, I think that different specialties have a different personality attached and it's where you feel the most comfortable and where you feel like you're able to be the most yourself. And mm -hmm. I don't take myself too seriously and I like to joke around a lot and you know be very lighthearted. And in my opinion, orthopedic uh, theatre seems to be the best place for that. So I've, you know, like, I feel like I found my tribe. I'd love to go into trauma and orthopedics. I fully understand the whole power tools thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's amazing. <laughs> you're like, you're on a high. You're like, oh, <laughs> you're using the tool. You're like, yes. 
Well, yeah, um, I guess there are a lot of highs and lows. So when things went slow during your gap year, there's a question here that says, you know, how did you sort of develop yourself, especially in terms of your portfolio? Or did you just take it as a full-on gap? No, no. When I say gap year, this is the problem with us medics. We, when, we do, when we say gap year, we mean we're working. We're just not in a training program. <laughs> That's what gap year is. <laughs> When you're in a gap year, unless you're traveling the world, you are working in NHS. You work in your portfolio. How I developed it. I. Okay. So what I did is all the um, audits that I had done in my foundation training, I made sure that they'd been presented somewhere as either um, oral presentations or, or posters. So I just literally applied to lots of conferences and I made sure that one of them got in, you know, it's like, it's like my, my um, strategy was just flooding the market. <laughs> more of them would stick, basically. So that's what I did. So I was like, okay, all the audits that I've done, it's, it, it's great that you do audits and you change practice and you present it to your consultant. He's like, yeah, well done, you know, but it, you need to get something out of it. You need to make it work for your portfolio. So I literally submitted to every conference, every possible, you know, uh, meeting you could think of. And then I end up having like five different presentations, you know, <laughs> in one year. I was like, why didn't I do this before, you know? So that was that, you know. Um, in terms of how I did it myself, I continued to work. I was just a trust grade. So trust grade means that you're not in a training program, but you're sort of like, um, you're still the SHO, you know? So I was, I worked mm -hmm. as an SHO in orthopedics and within my own department, I asked, do you have any audits? Do you have any papers that I could write? Do you have anything interesting? And I literally looked at my core surgical training portfolio requirements and I tried to hit every single one of those. Any courses that I didn't manage to do the first time around, because of rota whatever great i was like great it's a perfect opportunity i'm gonna do them and i literally worked through my whole all the requirements and i made sure that i hit every single one of those boxes i was like I, you know mm -hmm. um so yeah and then i had a paper that was take that was getting forever to be published and then sometimes it's just timing you know that it just so happened that when i went off my gap year um, it, it, it was a case report that got published in the BMJ. So then that counts for points as well. So that's that's what you do when you take a gap year, unfortunately, in medicine. You don't go, you know, lying on, you can go lying <laughs> But most of the time people just gap year means working really hard and, um, and making sure that their portfolio is great. Well, I guess um, there's a lot of questions about sort of timelines. So beyond your gap year, when you started your LTFD, hmm. sort of what age did you start it? How long did it take? How much did it slow you down? What age are you now? How much do you have left? So can you just tell us a bit more about the exact timeline? Okay, fine. So in because I know that there's a lot of obviously medical students. And um, when I was a medical student, I didn't I didn't have a scooby about training, about how training worked. Um, I just thought that's how you become a doctor. So when you leave medical school, you do a foundation training, okay? That's two years. Mm -hmm. So that is a training program in its own right, okay? So you do your foundation training and after your F1, you, that's when you get your um, full G, uh, GMC registration before it's just provisional. Then after you do your F2, technically you've done, you're now an SHO level, okay? You can at that point say, I don't wanna go into any more training. I'm happy at the level that I've achieved. And you'll just continue to locum or do trust grade jobs as a junior doctor, okay? After your foundation training, that's when you choose, are you going to go into hospital medicine? Are you going to go into GP? Are you going to go into surgery, okay? And 
Or am I going to go into anesthetics, for example? There's so many amazing options that are out there, but I'm going to focus on surgery. After your foundation training, which is two years, you then start your core surgical training, which is two years. After your mm -hmm. core surgical training, you start your specialist registrar training. When orthopedics, it's six years, okay? Not counting the fellowship here. So you've got two years foundation, two years core surgery, six years registrar training at full time. That's not at less than full time. And how long it takes you to complete those at less than full time depends on the percentage that you do. So because I do 60%, I go in three days a week, okay? So at 60%, my core surgical training was supposed to take 40 months, which is three years and four months. I completed it in three years. So just to give you a timeline, I did my F1 and F2 full-time. I took a year out where I had, to, I had a baby slash work, slash work on my portfolio. I went into work the following year as my core surgical training. So I did core surgery year one. Then I did core surgery year two. Then I started my third core surgical year because I'm less than full-time. But halfway during my third core surgical year, I took my second maternity and I took it for a whole year. And then I went back afterwards and I finished, I only had like four months to go. I finished the, those four months and I got signed off. So I graduated when I was 25. I should say that I took a year out um, in my final year of med school. My father passed away like a week before my finals and it was a really rough time. So I took a year out. I, I thought, I forgot to mention this at the start. I thought I wasn't gonna do medicine anymore. I was like, I'm done with medicine. I'm not interested. I don't want to, I don't want to step foot in another hospital again. And Imperial, everyone, know everyone gives, I know everyone gives Imperial a bad rap, honestly, but Imperial were like, take all the time you need, go do whatever you want to do. Let's have this discussion in a year's time. We'll see how you feel then. And honestly, they provide me with amazing support. I then did my finals a year later. So I graduated when I was 25 years old. By the end of F1 and F2, I was 27, had my first kid at literally like a week before I turned 28 or something. Basically, it's cut a long sh story short, I'm 33 now. <laughs> um, 33, done with my core surgical training and I'm applying for registrar training. My interviews are in a month's time. So pray for me, guys. Well, may God rest your father's soul and may you do well in your exam. Um, speaking of exams, when did you complete your MRCS in this whole timeline? And was it more difficult when you had your family with you? It's definitely more difficult because you have to think about like what I'm doing right now is loading up on coffee because I'm going to be studying at night when everyone's gone to sleep. So I did my, my, my advice to you is if you are thinking of having a family, try to do MRCS ASAP. And some people are crazy. They did it in their F1 year. And I'm like, how can we do it in your F1? We don't have enough surgical experience. And, but I understand where they're coming from. I think the earlier you do it, the easier it is because you're still in that studying mode from med school. I did my MRCS part A, so my first surgical exam um, in my F2 year, which was fine because I didn't have kids and I studied and I got it. Then I was like, I'm not gonna do the practical until I'm in my um, surgical training because I need, like you kind of need a level of experience. You need to see when someone says, oh, explain, uh, you know, now, you kind of need to know what you're looking at. Not everything is theory. So I thought, yeah, I'll do my Viva, my OSCE when I'm in my core surgical training. That's when I had my, ki my kids. So it was really tough. 
Um, so that is, so CT1 was when I got my MRCS because um, I thought the sooner you do it, the better. Um, you need to have your MRCS before you apply for risk training. And I, I thought just in case I need to repeat and study, I'll try to do it sooner rather than later. Um, and my advice to you is just do it as soon as you can because it's just a big weight off your, off your shoulders when you do it. Um, what obstacles did you sort of encounter other than sort of rescheduling your exams and all these kinds of things? What huge obstacles did you sort of encounter in your career path and how did you overcome them? Mm, well, the, the biggest thing I would say is the whole wearing hijab in theatres. Um, some people, like, I remember when I was a medical student, like, you can't go in with that. I'm like, why? Like, it's not sterile. I'm like, okay. And I was just thought, oh my goodness, how, how am I going to make this work? Um, but this one guy came up to me and he gave me a, it's basically a neck shield for a lead gown against x-rays. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you can use this. And, that, and I was like, oh, that's amazing. So what I did, what I do, I basically double cap. So like my hair doesn't show. And then I use the lead gown to cover my neck. There's always going to be bits that show, but you know, like for me, obviously I'm doing as much as I can to, um, and I think that's yeah. for me, that, that is hard. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to lie mm -hmm. to you. It's constantly like, do I really need to be a surgeon? And you know, might have my neck showing and a bit of my chest and my arms. Do I really need to do that? And this is something that I struggle mm -hmm. with constantly. But then I think in my opinion, okay, I'm thinking I'm doing what I can. I'm covering up where I can. Um, I'm helping people, you know, I'm, you know, so that, that's just how I justify it. So I think for me, honestly, that's probably the biggest obstacle. What about the obstacle of sort of night shifts with children? Do you find that hard or um, do you find it doesn't impact you much? I think, it, I, I think it's easier. Having said that, after my second daughter, I didn't go back to night shifts because I was breastfeeding for a long time. Um, and that's something that you can speak to your employee about, employer about, sorry that if you are breastfeeding, um, then you can discuss night shifts with them. And a lot of them will be very accommodating because it's EU law that you don't have to do night shifts when you're breastfeeding. Obviously we're not part of the EU anymore. So it's a bit uncharted territory, but most of them are accommodating. And I, I breastfed at night for a very long time. But with my first daughter, I found night shifts to be a, a bit easier. Um, I would literally just spend a couple of hours with her. Oh. Okay, I should say easier for the kid, not easier for me. I should definitely <laughs> clarify that because essentially you're not sleeping, you're working at night and then you come back and they say to your kid and you're up all day with your kid. You might have like one or two hours. So what I did is I spoke with the hospital and the department and I, when I used to do night shifts and I told them instead of doing them in a row, can I do them every other night? And that gives me time to sleep in between. And they're understanding, they're like, yep, sure. Because if you think about it, if I'm working a night shift on Monday, it means I'm not going to sleep during the day on Monday because I'm with my kids and doing stuff. Um, when she was in nursery, I would like try to get a couple of hours sleep. The night, Monday night, I'm working. Tuesday during the day, I'm with my kids. You want me to do Tuesday night as well? It's, you know, it's, it's actually unsafe. So I said that to them. So yeah. we came up with a system where I would do Monday night, Tuesday night will be off, and then I'll do Wednesday night, you know? So that's like two out of four, but sort of like staggered, and that helps. Okay. Um, so the next question is about a mentor. Did you have a mentor when applying for, for your CSD? No. <laughs> Sorry, that's the short answer. Um, um, no, and I think that's why I struggled because I felt like I was, I, you know, we didn't have amazing initiatives like what you guys have, have set up. 
and I felt like I had to find my, my way alone a lot. Um, so no that's uh, <laughs> why you're here helping all of us struggling to find a way honestly um, that is why I'm here I want to get you all there that's great mashallah um so just a couple of final questions um someone asked does it make the training process easier if your partner is working in a non-medical profession I think I think we spoke briefly about this and I said that it, it depends what you want to get out of it. If you want flexibility at home, then yes, it makes it easier because I have seen friends who are married to medics and for them, sometimes it's really difficult. They, they feel like they don't see each other for weeks. Like they'll be on like a week of night and then afterwards, they'll, a week after their partner will be on a week of nights, you know? So I think in terms of flexibility, it helps that they're a non-medic. They don't have to do night shifts. It's just extra weekend work. But like I said, in terms of career progression, aspiration, if you want someone to be more understanding, um, then you, you need a medic. Because I truly believe that only a medic understands medics when it comes to work. Um, you did mention that people say you have a strong personality. A lot of people have said that to me too. And it'd be hard to find someone for me. And it worries me a lot. Just wanted to know your thoughts on this. Someone put this into the Q&A. Hang on a second. Don't you worry. Don't you <laughs> worry. Why on earth are you worrying? The right person will come along and they'll be right for you. Okay. This is the problem. Oh my goodness. This is the problem. Why do we feel like we always have to lower our voice, make ourselves smaller, just so we can find someone? First of all, I know it's easier for me to say because I've been married for a long time and I've got kids, but you don't need nobody. All right, babes, you don't need anyone. So anyone that comes into your life has to make you happy and has to enrich your life and has to make your life happy. And I'm not going to be completely naive and say you just sit there like a princess. No, you need to make that, them happy as well. And you need to add something to their life. And you guys need to build something that's beautiful because you're going to have, hopefully, you know, you're going to have kids and you want to give them the right the right impression of what it should be like to be in a married in a married um in a relationship and i hate it i hate it when constantly we're being told you know lower your tone this is that's exactly what it is that's what you're, you're telling me you know and i got that a lot in university and i just thought they're just not good enough and i need to be married to someone i need to be with someone that i can respect and look up to so if a guy comes along and he's intimidated because I have a big mouth, I'm sorry, but what am I going to respect? He's going to run. He's going to run at the first sign of like trouble, a bump in the road. Uh, you need, you need, you know, that there are, you will find the right person. If you don't find the right person, that's also a blessing because you don't want to change who you are. You know, you don't want to lower your tone. You don't want to make yourself smaller just so you can find someone settle down and then be miserable for the rest of your life honestly trust me trust me on this sometimes I do think to myself you know it's easier for you know for me to basically just conform no it's not because you are going to be miserable for the rest of your life and I've seen that before the final Q&A question is going back to work so how do you say disciplined and organized when you have to juggle various tasks by crying lots I'm joking <laughs> Um, 
um, a list of what you need to achieve by the end of the year, by the end of the month, by the end of the week, okay? So once you sit there and you realize, I, this is what I need to achieve, you have to ask yourself, how do I get there? You know, this is all about focus goal setting and planning. And honestly, I believe that when you sit and have an honest discussion and reflection with yourself about what's achievable and how you can get there, everything becomes a lot easier. Otherwise, it's very daunting. So you sit there, you make a plan, you're right, you make a timetable, and importantly, you leave some downtime as well and some flexibility. So the days that you're not feeling up for it, you know, you can just sit back and watch a film or whatever, and it won't impact um, too much on your timetable for what you need to do. So I think definitely staying disciplined in an organization is having some downtime is really important. Celebrating little achievements, celebrating little milestones, and just um, writing down your goals and your aims. I wish we could go on with this forever, but that's our time for today. Honestly, I'm going to go back to studying. I've learned so much from you. And honestly, thank you so much for your time. It's so inspiring. So many people have sent so much into their chat saying how they love these gems and they're, they're so empowered by you. So mashallah, thanks for being here and thanks thank for being our first episode. You're so sweet. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, if you obviously need anything, any questions, any help, any you know logistical, technical stuff, just let me know. I'm more than happy to help. Thank you so much. And thanks, everyone.